This is the at u2.com podcast for October 23rd, 2019, talking all things U2, including new album news, tour dates, and community discussions from the staff of at U2. I'm your host, Colin Suter, and on this episode, we've got Marilyn Mayoni and PJ DeGenero. Uh, before we do- jump into the discussion, I want to let you know that you can find the links to items we discuss in this episode at www.goodstuff.fm slash at u2 slash episode 98. And if you're not already subscribed to the at YouTube podcast, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you currently listen to podcasts. This episode is sponsored by the Larry Mullen Jr. Show, an in-depth interview series with the great artists of our time. Just tee up a clip and then play 15 seconds of complete silence. Okay, uh, so uh, we're talking all things U2. Um, welcome, uh fellow podcasters <laughs> um so we got uh, marilyn uh you've been on the show before right absolutely okay what was the last when was the last time you were on i i feel like we've oh it's been uh quite a while i couldn't okay. even i can't even remember what we talked okay. about Okay, that's, that's okay. I know I've heard you on the show. I just can't remember the last time I've heard you, but yeah, so I guess that's why. Um, and then we have a newcomer, uh, PJ De Janeiro, who is new to the website. Um, who knew? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, PJ, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself. First of all, what do you do for the website? Sure. Um, I haven't done a whole lot yet. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I'm a, I'm a writer. Um, I have written a couple of, um, oh, let's say, um, I think the first thing of mine that's going to appear is a uh, sort of favorite bits of um, the Red Rocks video, Ooh, um, okay. where there'll be a bunch of gifts with uh, <laughs> me me being wordy about them, basically. Um, and uh, other than that, um, I, I think I have another article coming up that needs to be edited by someone. Other than that, um, just yeah. <laughs> brand new <laughs> so was why red rocks was red rocks like your gateway drug into the youtube universe your uh, fandom or pretty much yes um i think the first the first couple of songs that i heard by youtube were um kind of when uh sunday bloody sunday and new year's day managed to creep into uh mainstream rock radio mm. um and just sounded like nothing else in the world. Um, and so then to see those, the, the Red Rocks videos was certainly uh, a further inducement <laughs> into becoming a YouTube fan. So what was it like seeing the expanded version of that show when that came out? That um, mind-blowing. The whole opening was a lot more energetic. I'll yeah. Say. So uh, well done. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Although, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, because the original video opened with seconds, if I'm not right. mistaken, right? Yeah. yeah. And then now it opens with the, what it actually opened with, which is out of control. Right. Um, where, where I, I, I think I get why they didn't have that version of out of control on the video, on the original video, because I think Larry comes in like a minute or, or not a minute, but like a second or two late. Um, <laughs> If sure, I'm, I'll buy that. <laughs> yeah, and they—they're, you know, of course, they're nitpicky, and they're like, "No, yeah. we, that's not good enough. We're 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 scrapping that." Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I, I remember when that came out. It was like, oh wow, this is this is, I I can't believe what I'm seeing here. <laughs> like, it was uh, it was amazing, and yeah, I, I my parents uh wouldn't get cable, so <laughs> because we lived very close to New York City, we had a good antenna. Why do you need cable? Um, so I used to go to, you know, a friend's house to watch MTV and I pretty much Red Rocks was on constantly, like pieces of it. Mm. So, uh, it was, uh, it was a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great time to be alive. Definitely. So you've been around forever. I mean, you two has been part of your life forever. So that's, yeah, you're I've been around good- forever. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> you're in good company. Um, <laughs> 
So I pose, I, I uh, oh, let's let's uh, touch on a little bit of U2 news. Uh, not a whole lot going on. I mean, the Joshua Tree tour is going to come up soon, and that is going to be at the forefront of all U2 news for starting in November for a whole month and a half or so. Um, but we did get a, a Record Store Day announcement. Record Store Day is coming up on Black Friday, as it always does. And U2, for the past several years, has, has had a release uh, every year. On both record store days, the one in April and in the one in November, and the one in November, they're going to uh, do a reissue of the original uh, first ever U2 EP, the U2-3, uh, that famously you know, it was only a thousand copies were made of the original pressing, and then it kind of resurfaced here and there and other reissues, but not for a long, long time. Um, but now it's going to be back on vinyl uh remastered all three songs and repackaged in a kind of uh retro record you know record single way where there's it's very no frills and um i I forgot the graphic colors it's like green and red um for you know very basic promo album cover thing um so do you, either of you ever line up on record store day to try and get these things or? Well, I have tried lining up for things and not gotten them. And I find I have better luck if I just show up uh, in the middle of the day sometime. And um, the last release they put out, that's what I did. I just walked in at, you know, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon. And I was lucky to get the last of the, <laughs> the U2 um, release. But uh, this release, I think, is great for the completists out there because this is the holy grail of all U2 vinyl, isn't it? So to say you have a copy of this, even if it's not an original copy, to complete everyone's... Um, collections uh i think this is a really really nice release for for fans what about you pj are you do you line up for these things you collect them i i full disclosure i don't have a record player that's okay so yeah i'm I'm stuck in the 90s (laughs) but you know this one at u23 i i could buy a record player for this i actually could it would be really really cool to have it so you I, don't I, actually need a record player. I'm just going to say that. You don't well, I can buy the record. <laughs> you can buy the record. I have a lot of records that I don't play, but I have them. <laughs> well, so do I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm in the same ballpark. I have a record player, but it's a really crummy record player, so I, I just kind of don't use it ever. Um, and uh, so I do. I do collect these things, and I don't play them very often. And I hear what you're saying, Marilyn, about this, about U23 being the Holy Grail. And I gotta, I, I, I'm just, I'm gonna brag a little bit, I guess. Um, (laughs) I walked into a record store in like 1996, uh, with a lot of money to spend. And sitting behind the counter was, it wasn't the original U23, but it was a four pack of, U2 vinyl singles that they reissued uh, for this like little four pack thing that you could buy. And it was like, it was U2 three and I think it was uh new year's day and 11 o'clock TikTok and pride. I want to say, um, or something like that. But anyway, looking across the counter and seeing that actual U2-3 cover, I was like, I don't care if it's not original. That's U2-3 in front of me. I'm buying that. Give it to me. Um, so yeah, it's it it really is like finding a treasure when you when you actually have that thing. But I I think having it on record store day is pretty cool too because it will be a limited edition. It won't be available forever, and it's a great sort of piece of U two recording history because uh, those three songs don't sound anything like how they sound on the actual album when they were you know when the production was souped up a little bit more. Um, okay, so uh, the topic. Uh, for this month, I think is just kind of fun. I, I think, I, or I want it to be <laughs> um, that, you know, Halloween is coming up and U2 is not one of those bands that you think of as being in any way, gothic or spooky or dark or anything like that. Um, but they have their moments and 
you know, two things that I think about when I think of Halloween and this time of year are, you know, playfulness and, you know, darkness or fear. And one of the things that drew me to you two, uh, aside from the music in, in, in the late eighties and then eventually in the nineties, uh, was the whole zoo TV tour and the sort of you two freeing themselves from being, you know, what they were in the eighties, you know, being, you know, coming off as overly earnest and, and a little too self-serious, uh, and then just shedding all of that and putting on some costumes and having fun. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember distinctly when I, when I saw, finally saw the zoo TV tour, I, I didn't see it under the best of circumstances, uh, so I wasn't able to really absorb everything that the show was, but I know it was amazing. And it wasn't until I saw that TV special uh, on Thanksgiving weekend uh, that aired here in America, like in a truncated version, a shorter version. Um, it was like less than an hour, but still like I watched the hell out of that video. I taped it and I watched it like crazy over and over again. And then the Sydney uh, zoo TV pay-per-view thing that eventually became the Sydney, the live in Sydney video. Uh, I just, when, when I saw Mac Fisto for the first time, that was it. Like I, I became obsessed with you too. And I wanted more. Um, I, I just, that, that was, that was the thing that got me to subscribe to propaganda that got me to into the record stores looking for you two, three and things like that. And just like it all snowballed from there for me. Uh, Mac Fisto was a big deal because I just had never seen uh, an artist go that far on into the other side of of a persona from going from what he was, what Bono was in the Joshua Tree era, which is when I discovered you two, to that to what Mac Fisto was was amazing to see. And I think I attribute that to my, my two favorite bands when I was a little kid, when I first discovered rock and roll were the Beatles and kiss. And to me, to me, that's what U two was in the nineties. They were a perfect combination of the Beatles and kiss. You know, they had the musicianship and the artistry of the Beatles and they had the showmanship of kiss. I don't care what anybody thinks of kiss, but you get you, they have showmanship big time. Um, and that's what, you know, you two is like throwing themselves into that bigger than life, bigger than anything kind of performance level. And so like, I got so into the McFisto thing. I had a friend of mine make me a McFisto suit and which I have to this day. And does uh, it still fit? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe the pants fit because they were elastic and very, very big on me. Um, but they, I mean, so they, they probably do fit the jacket. I doubt it. I really doubt it. Um, but it, it's probably a little too small for me, but I went out and I bought the gold lame. I bought the red insert. I went out and bought, uh, I mean the red lining. Um, I found a red shirt. It didn't have ruffles on it, but it still passed for, in my opinion, <laughs> bought a pair of black leather shoes. Uh, I couldn't find platform shoes, but I just, I bought a pair of black leather shoes and spray painted them gold. Um, you know, Colin, got, you are hardcore. <laughs> really? about well, you. here's another thing at the time, <laughs> at the time in the nineties, I was also a regular at the Rocky horror picture show. So uh, there you go. Yeah. That's all. I did that sense. in the early eighties too. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you know what I'm talking about. So Mac Fisto fits in perfectly well at Rocky right. horror and it's a great place to kind of show that costume off and no one's going to think twice about it. But when they ask you about it, you have a lot of explaining to do <laughs> because Mac Fisto didn't come to the U S it was only the rest of the world that got Mac Fisto. Um, so I really just thought it'd be a fun uh, excuse to talk about Mac Fisto at Halloween and then also talk about the U2's music and the sort of the, the dark passages that is in their that uh, exists in their catalog. Um, do you guys have, do you guys remember what your first impressions of, of Mac Fisto or do you guys have like uh, a story or, or have you, if, if either of you seen Mac Fisto in action prior to existence and experience? No. Experience Only, and innocence. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> that's way wrong. Experience and innocence. Um, that's right. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that tour. Um, really only in video, but um, even just on video, um, you know, having been a U2 fan since the early 80s, the, the transformation into that character was just so, um, so complete. And so uh, I, I don't even know how to say it. Like he, he really kind of uh, disappeared into, I mean, mm-hmm. not completely, you know, you knew Bono was there, but, um, you know, I think he had been, I think he's just an exceptional performer and, um, you know, certainly video has surfaced of uh, younger Bono sort of uh, doing various accents and, and just just sort of being an actor almost. He, you know, he's really good. Um, and so, you know, that character, which is sort of like a, you know, archetypal, you know, if I can, if I even said that right, you know, sort mm-hmm. of demon character, but clever and um it's it's just remarkable even you know to this day to watch it you know even being used to it by now after 25 years or whatever it's still kind of a shock and uh it's just one of the most brilliant things i ever saw certainly so marilyn what about you uh i agree i think bono has always had a flair for the dramatic and I think a lot of their, um, a lot, especially being the front man of the band, right? So he's the, you know, everybody's playing their instruments and he's the one who's engaging with the audience. And he's always found different ways to do that, that, um, you know, other people haven't done. And I think McFisto is definitely, um, something that was new at the time and you know uh kiss did they did um sort of lead the way for people to um to be more um open with their looks and their uh you know all the all the bands all the guys who wore makeup in the 80s and had big hair and the you know the tight leather pants and all that stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know that they opened the door f- to make that okay for performers to do that and i think bono having those friends in the lipton village and uh is it guggy is that how you say his friends guggy guggy um, and the Virgin Prunes, who did their, they did music, but they were um, really performance artists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having those guys as your best friends, and you're going out, and you know that's on a much smaller scale. Um, but then you go out, and you have, you know, thousands of people who, you know are at your beck and call, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're, they're captive to you and you can, you know, for him to um, find this character and dresses him and do it on the, um, do it in front of the audience. So it was very clear, you know, he didn't, he, in the video, you can see him putting on his makeup, you know, mm-hmm. if you watch the, um, the uh, live from Australia um, video, you can see him putting on his makeup. He's changing his clothes. So it's all very, it's all out there. It's not hidden. Um, and then he comes out and people just go crazy because, oh, who's this guy? But you just watched him <laughs> put all his makeup on. So you know it's him. You know it's Bono. And uh, I think for him as a performer, having to, you know, they were on tour for how many years? Uh, Four, four years, three years, something like that. Two, two, I think. Two. He says in the video, two years. Yeah. Um, that was that was the um European leg, though, right? Or did they did they have a um? No, well, that that video was uh, 1993, and I think the tour started in early 1992. So I mean, right. it really was coming around. And he says on the video, two years, and we finally two made years. it to the end of the Yellow Brick Road. Yeah. Okay. So I think for him, it was a way to keep the material fresh mm-hmm. and um, bring new life to it um, for the people who were near the end of the tour. Um, 
where maybe they were feeling kind of tired <laughs> or um, just wanting something new. And um, Bono's good at finding something new. So uh, I just, I love the character. I love the ridiculousness of the character. And, um, you know, there's a sadness to him as well. Um, and I, I think... Like you said, PJ, I think Bono is just really good at acting, and he um, he really made this McFisto his own. So I I just love it. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you've done to me? You made me very famous, and I thank you. I know you like your pop stars to be exciting, so I bought these. Yeah, you just gotta love that. It's like one of the most lovable devil characters ever. Um, And I, I, I think it's great. I'm glad you touched on the uh, his friendships with you know the the guys in the Lipton Village, um, Gavin Friday in particular. Uh, has always had that kind of flamboyancy to him mm-hmm. uh, when he was with the Virgin Prunes, and and he's always been a creative consultant with you two on all their tours, and especially right. you could he's, there's definitely an influence there uh, on on Mac Fisto. I mean, I I think it was in Bill Flanagan's book You Two at the End of the World, where um, you know the n- nights leading up to the opening of the Zeropa tour, and Bono is trying to figure out what to do with the mirror ball man character. Cause that's an American based character and we're not in America anymore. So what are we going to do? Uh, and I think it was just Gavin who was kind of coaching him on like, well, let's just put the horns on him and spell it out. And, um, and I just wish I could have been there for those rehearsal sessions where Gavin is kind of giving Bono pointers on how to create this character. Cause I think that, I think it, 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 I think it was a kind of a collaborative effort between those two. Um, and, uh, but I mean, it's, it was definitely Bono who had, you know, the most to, who was really sticking his neck out for, for, you know, to see if he could pull this off in front of a huge audience. Um, I'm sure there were some in the audience who were completely confused and had no idea what was really going on, <laughs> but um but it didn't seem to matter. It was just, he, he went for it and he stuck with it throughout the entire tour. And uh, just the, 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 the phone calls that, that he would make on stage uh, after, you know, whatever it was, if it was desire or daddy's going to pay for your crash car. I mean, he's, you know, he's calling all these dignitaries and, um, and, and, uh, you know, prime ministers and people in power, and kind of harassing them and pranking them, and you know, it's so funny. It's oh just God. so funny to me. <laughs> it was funny and it was really brave. Yeah, I mean, you know, most people I know don't want to call their own insurance company with a complaint. You know, <laughs> um, so to actually, you know, to to get on the phone. It was kind of a brilliant thing. It took the, um, you know, the sort of rattle and hum era of Bono, who could sound a little bit politically haranguing, mm-hmm. um, and it sort of gave him this other, this other way to be political that was uh, a lot more fun, I think, um, and and snarky and, you know, sort of sort of sideways, um, you know, way of coming at it. Um, but I just, I just think it was, I think he's got to be one of the bravest people, you know, when I think about it, um, you know, just to, you know, to be in that character, be so thoroughly in it, be on stage, um, call up Mussolini's daughter or whoever. Oh God, that's right. Yeah. You know, and, and just give her hell. And it's just, uh, you know. It's brilliant. It was really brilliant. You think Il Duce would have liked a pair of these? Do you think Il Duce would like a gold lame suit like mine? I do miss him, do you? 
I believe he has a very nice granddaughter. Shall I give her a telephone call? Yes, Alessandra. Hello, I'd like to leave a message for Alessandra Mussolini. I was a close friend of her grandfather's and I just want to tell her she's doing a wonderful job filling the old man's shoes. I'll be leaving Italy tomorrow, but I won't be far away. And I will be with her forever in spirit. And I feel like, too, PJ, that he, you know, um, those guys have a really good sense of humor that doesn't always come across. They but do. he really got they, they he really got to uh, engage in his own sense of humor, you know, just for himself. But, you know, everybody got to see that. And uh it, like you said, it was just a, a, a brilliant way for him to allow some of his own personality to come through while wearing all this white makeup and the suit and the horns and um, uh, do these things that you would never do if you were not dressed that way. So, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, definitely. Um, and also, I mean, he after this tour, you mentioned that he's a good actor, Bono. I mean, he was offered movie roles. Yeah. Uh, in light of the Zoo TV tour, he was going to be in a Batman movie. Uh, he was, you know, he was it, that he was offered that. He was offered to to play the role of the villain, uh, the villainous uh, record uh, producer in a movie called Strange Days with Ray <laughs> Fiennes and Juliette Lewis, uh, which is a great movie. But yeah. if if you watch it, the the actor that they that they got to play it, uh, you know, he was great. And you try to imagine Bono in this role. It's like, no, uh, no, this would not work. And, you know, as good an actor as he is, he's not this character. No way. Um, but I'm, it's, it's just funny to think. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to think that he, he turned that down. He could have had a Hollywood acting career and he totally turned that down. Thank God. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I have to agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I, I do enjoy his role in, uh, across the universe. I thought he was great in that, um, kind of stole that movie in, in my opinion. Um, so what do you guys think when, when McFisto came back for the experience and innocence tour? Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I was ecstatic because I never thought I'd see McFisto ever again in any carnation. (laughs) So I was unbelievably thrilled especially coming off of uh, or leading into a song we never thought we'd ever hear live which was ultraviolet and so like those two things back to back are like that's my dream that's it I'm, I, I've, I've seen everything that i want to see now um but what do you what well, do you, you mean acrobat say? right acrobat what did it i say during acro- acrobat what did i say you ultraviolet. said ultraviolet. oh yeah right okay yeah yes well acrobat. they're right next yeah. to each other on the yeah road. i know fair enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, I I was overjoyed, and uh, he he had kind of um, I don't know if you guys remember he he did sort of a um, Mexisto light kind of turn on the um, Jimmy Kimmel show. Oh, that's right. Yes, and um, I I had stayed up to watch it, and uh, you know I was chatting you know via internet with a couple of friends of mine, and we were pretty much screeching. Um, because we were we were very excited that he was doing his little Nixisto thing, and uh, we had talked amongst ourselves like, wouldn't it be great if he brought that character back? And this was like in 2016 or something. So uh, I like to say we predicted it that, <laughs> <laughs> that he was going to come back eventually. Um, I I just thought it was great. I um, for me that was I I, I loved Experience and Innocence, but. Um, that was like the best part of the show for me. And I made sure I was uh, by the B stage for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, it was excellent. And um, again, you know, he was, uh, he wasn't on the phone, but he was, you know, kind of sticking it to the world leaders, which I appreciate in this case. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure everyone who was there kind of got it, but you know, so what? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, 
fabulous. So how many times did you guys, did you each see that show? Um, four. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I only saw it once, I believe. Okay. So, um, but I thought it was thrilling and especially during Acrobat, um, especially because the lyrics, you know, I must be an acrobat, um, think this way and talk like that, you know, um, is that the right lyrics? (laughs) I'm like losing my mind right now. It's late. So I'm very, like like this. Yeah. Right. So, and showing the duality, right. That everybody has and to have that, um, that superimposed face, that really scary. I thought the, the new McFisto was super scary where the original McFisto was more of a, a cartoony kind of, um, character where, you know, he was, uh, uh very bright colors and white fit, you know, that white face paint and, um, but the overlay that they used during the um, the, the the later Mephisto was much more like um, like jokery, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. much more scary and much more sinister. So um, even though it was a sort sort of looked like a cartoon, he was much, a much more um, sinister uh, Mephisto than the original, which. Um, you know, because of our troubled times that we're in, I thought that was a much uh, more appropriate for our times now than the old McFisto would have. If they had just brought him back, the old one, he would have seemed out of place. Mm, yeah. Uh, in the show. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think yeah. the way that they brought him back um, to be a little more scary was uh, more a- appropriate for um uh, the place in the show where they used it. And I, yeah. I thought it was, you know, we screamed like little girls when we saw him, like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like you said, Colin, like not everybody got it. The people who were there for the hits and mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. That's fine. If you go to listen to you two to hear the hits, but um, you know, I think the older fans who knew the history were just, yeah. just beside themselves when they saw that. And I was one of those people. So me too. It was yeah. like a um a decayed, you know, McFisto. It was like, you know, this the however many years, you know, have passed and you know, things things haven't gotten better. <laughs> and uh, you know, McFisto right. himself is uh you know, the yeah. the the evil is now showing up on his face, you know. Um, yeah, he's got that, more teeth. Well, that too. <laughs> and gnarly teeth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, almost like a, like a Dorian Gray kind of thing where you can actually, you know, the, he's now the picture that's in the attic with all the decay and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it was great. It was really brilliantly done. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I got, uh, I was, I had two sort of MacFisto things that I was fortunate to have happen and fortunate to see uh, in between zoo TV and experience and innocence. Uh, the first one was the pop Mart tour uh, I saw in St. Louis and somebody had shown up in their McFisto costume and actually got on stage uh, during bullet, the blue sky. And it and was, were you kicking yourself Colin? That oh you my didn't God. Wear well, this was, this was, <laughs> I mean, this was, back in the day before we, they did GA for all their shows. So like I wasn't anywhere near that, that stage. I couldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have found me where if I was wearing a McFisto costume, but this guy <laughs> happened to get his seat right at the B stage. So he wasn't messing around. Um, so he got to go up on stage during bullet, uh, during the 100, 200, 304 part. And uh, Bono and him exchanged jackets and Bono put, took the guy's horns and put them on. And for a, about a minute, he was McFisto again. He did the uh-huh. smile at the camera and oh, oh my boy. God, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and then I did 
correct. Well, not correct, but I did um, wear my Mac Fisto costume to a, um, oh, but twice at a U2 show, another Pop Mart show, which was on, on October 31st. I mean, uh, and Larry's birthday. And I was kind of closer to the, to the, to the ramp. I was about 15, 10 or 15 seats away from the ramp. Um, but I was not noticed, of course. Uh, but still, it was kind of cool to just have that. But, uh, and then on the elevation tour, I wore the suit again and got to the, to the tip of the heart, the outer tip of the heart. And again, during bullet, <laughs> Uh, he, he did find me and yeah. he, and you know, when he puts his hand out and everybody reaches for his hand, he did grab my hand and kind of held it for a prolonged period of time during the song. I think he yeah. was like, maybe in his head, he's going, should I bring him up? Should I not bring him up? Should I bring him up? Should I not bring him up? And he just basically just decided not to, but he held my hand during a big part of it, uh, during bullet. So I was like, that's cool. All right. I'll settle for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. Yeah. And and if you want to see, if you have issues of propaganda, um, I'm in the passengers issue, uh, because I sent them a picture of my McFisto costume, uh, with a letter about passengers I, that I had sent them, and they put my picture next to the wrong letter, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if you find that the passengers issue of propaganda, look in the propaganda letters section, you'll or the passengers letters section, you'll see a picture of me in there. Um, and I got to show them that picture when I met them, and they thought that it was really cool. So, yay! Um, really cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's switch gears. Um, uh, to kind of continue the dark Halloween topic uh, at uh, at play here, um, U2's you know kind of more considered a, a, a band of positivity and joy, and that's what a lot we get out of a lot of their shows. But there is a dark side to them, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of just throw out a few songs and talk about kind of like what is it about them that puts us in a dark place or has a certain dark, sinister mood to it. Uh, you know, could, can you two create a, if we, if we took, you know, a bunch of you two songs, can we create a sort of, you know, you two's version of kid a, um, for those of you who get the Radiohead reference, um, <laughs> I get the Radiohead reference. <laughs> um, and make a really dark, sinister, creepy album of YouTube music. Um, I, I was, I found I was able to do that this week. Um, and I just kind of want to hear if you guys have certain titles that you want to dive into, uh, on this topic. Um, Can I? Uh, Mar- uh, yeah, PJ, oh. go ahead. No, no, Marilyn, <laughs> you want to go first or? No, no, you go ahead. I wanted to, I just before we go into the totally dark songs, I wanted to mention Shadow Man. If oh, I may, okay. Yeah. From the uh, Joshua Tree tour, the recent Joshua Tree tour. Yes. Because, um, and you know, you can edit this if it. If oh, it no, 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 no. This, this, is, um, this is costumes. This is characters. This is okay. Halloween. So, yeah, the, uh, Shadow I, Man, definitely. My my reaction to Shadow Man, which, I, I mean, I thought it was brilliant that they, you know, would they were finally going to play exit again after all these years um, that they made a, quite a big production out of it. And it was pretty fantastic. Um, and I just think having gone back over some of the videos of those shows that shadow man is absolutely terrifying in a mm. way that McFisto isn't. Mm. Um, I it's, it's really interesting. All I can say is if you go to YouTube and like, watch a couple of performances of Exit. Um, because Mexisto, Bono, I know I said he kind of disappeared into Mexisto, but he really disappeared into Shadow Man. Like there's there's almost no Bono. It's very um it's very creepy. Um and and sort of um it's just a he's just a very creepy character. I mean and he's kind of, you know, he's a little bit like Mirrorball Man, like the the American TV preacher, um, but just so much exaggerated. And um, the way he kind of kept like approaching Edge and like trying to touch the guitar and his 
you know, fingers poking out and everything. It was just very, very, very creepy. And mm-hmm. that's, that's my story. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. But, I didn't even think about that, but, you're but right. even the way face changed, like it just, it was almost like Bono was absent um, from his eyes and that I, you'd have to go look, you know, I may be crazy, but uh, you know, so that was, that was kind of a good Halloween character anyway. If uh, somebody was looking for a costume that, no, I, I agree. And, and also, I mean, I, I just like that Bono is enjoying, did he wear a top hat for that? A kind of big, bigger, big hat? More like a, not quite a cowboy hat, but sort of like a wide brimmed, like a preacher hat, you know, like a black yeah. hat. Okay. Um, yeah. But he, but I know. Okay, so I'm thinking of uh, an experience during the McFisto part or before the McFisto part. He had like this sort of top hat kind of. Oh, he definitely had a top hat for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, Ask me anything about hats. (laughs) 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 Well, I guess it's it. it, He's you know the pendulum swings. uh, You know both. You know one way or another for for Bono and whatever persona he wants to put out there because he spent a whole decade um, after. Zoo TV and Pop Mart just kind of being regular Bono. It's just the glasses and that's it. And then, right. you know, he still has that little performance uh, that, flare. <laughs> that flare that he wants to get out of his system, which yeah. I'm, which I, I love. I mean, I, I want more of that, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. I'm satisfied. He gave me what I wanted. Um, <laughs> but that's a good segue though, into the, into the next topic at hand, um, the songs themselves. Cause exit. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the darkest of all U two songs. Um, were, the, were either of you going to mention that one, or I was not. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the song itself, or uh, we could come back to me in a minute? Okay, or... okay. Uh, so, Marilyn, what what songs did you uh, what came to your mind when when this topic came up? Well, everything that they've done in the nineties. Uh, came up because I feel like there was a sea change, um, you know, uh, from the Joshua Tree era and before that, the 80s U2 and to the 90s U2. And, um, and part of the reason is, is you can kind of see it a little bit starting in the B sides of the Joshua tree and definitely with exit. Um, and some of the B sides from the Joshua tree, like walk to the water, luminous times deep in the heart, um, where, um, he, he's really starting to turn inward. So a lot of the songs that, um, came in the eighties were, outward songs, you know, songs in reaction to things um, that were outside of his own self. And then in the 90s, his writing kind of turned inward. And it was more um, songs about what was going on in his head and his emotions. And, um, and that's sort of where the darkness started to come through a little more. So. Um, I really, I really love like '90s U2 is my favorite U2. Uh, not that I hate the '80s U2 because I love '80s U2, but the I really love the fact that these songs um, are a little deeper. Um, the lyrics are a little deeper. They go a little deeper, mm-hmm. and um, so like you start with if you start with Octum Baby. Um, so cruel and, um, acrobat and love it. And especially love is, love is blindness is, I mean, even the sound of it, it sounds like a song. It sounds like the middle of the night, you know, starts with that really deep bass and it just creeps along. I don't want to see, won't you ever 
Bono starts to sing in this really low kind of voice and um and it just sounds really industrial and and very um, you know like that um very uh radiohead kind of <laughs> you know what i mean like it's yeah. it sounds very industrial and um but there's a heart to it but it's it's a dark heart it's not a light heart and um you know, I just, that whole change between um, the Joshua Tree and Octung Baby, like you were saying, PJ, about um, the McFisto character, like they were all in, you know, there was no going back to that other U2. And, I, and that really was reflected in the lyrics as well as the costumes and everything. So um, I'll start with that. I'll start with those songs from Octung Baby. Um, and then you guys can say what you want and then we'll go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll jump in on that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I love his blindness. Definitely. I mean, just that lyric, you know, a little death without mourning, no call and no warning, maybe a, a dangerous idea that almost makes sense. I mean, man, that is, yeah. that is some nihilistic stuff going on. It in sure there. is. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to bring to mind, um, bring, uh, bring into the discussion, uh, a song that's not a U2 song, but it's a, a song they covered in a way that is completely dark and sinister. And that's their cover of night and day. Um, <sighs> Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say that was like their first, that was like the bridge, I think. Yeah. Joshua Tree. And I think, you know, Cole Porter is such a brilliant writer. And for him to just um, sing that song the way that he did. And, uh, and then I think he was able to incorporate that into his own lyrics, which was great, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I jumped in on you. No, no, that's, that's, (laughs) that's totally cool. But I, I think that he really tapped into something that this song is maybe Cole Porter had the most innocent of intentions when he wrote it. But if you look at the lyrics, I mean, man, uh, this is not a love song. This is a, a song about, you know, obsession, uh, you know, like the beat, beat beat of the tom tom with the jungle shadows fall the uh um uh so a voice uh, i'll skip ahead actually uh so a voice within me keeps repeating you 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 night and day you're the one you're the beneath the moon and under the sun whether near me or far you no matter darling where you are i think of you night and day um and it's just it, you just read this without the the jazzy Sinatra feel to it. And you're like, man, this guy needs to be locked up. Uh, <laughs> he's just, he's out of his mind. Um, and I think Bono knew like, that's, that's what, that's how kind of how Bono interpreted the song and really just kind of went with that uh, instead of doing a, a jazzy loungy version of it that we're kind of used to. But I think, yeah, just the production of it and, you know, when, you know, uh, when the song peaks and Bono is just like screaming and he's got that just guttural, uh, you know, just just a, a guy who's just at his wit's end uh, over this obsession. It's really a, a, an amazing interpretation of that song. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's that 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 I want to make sure we, we, we talked about that one. Uh, PJ, what do you, what do you, what do you have? I have a bunch, but okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that song because that really, yeah. When I heard that on the radio, I remember thinking, you know, if you two is going in this direction, I am following them because <laughs> I was, um, I was sort of, I was a little bit, <laughs> I was very into, uh, joy division, nine inch nails and stuff mm. like that. Um, that was kind of my, second favorite thing to you too, which maybe doesn't make a lot of sense, but I think it actually does. Um, because I think you two is dark. <laughs> I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, they, they have a reputation out in the general public for being sort of, you know, um, like they say in church, like happy, clappy, you know, um, you know, anthemic and joyous and, and they are, um, frequently, but, you know, when you actually listen to their records, they're not. Um, and I think there's a lot of darkness folded into songs that we don't think of as being dark. Um, but, oh, and I'm also really glad Marilyn mentioned the uh, Joshua Tree B-sides because those things are epic. I mean, they're, they're so different from the, the Joshua Tree that made it onto the record. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're yeah. much more sort of, I call them like they're more Dublin-y than America-ish. Um, hmm. you know, they're, they're sort of darker and more local and, uh, something there's just, there's just some really eerie darkness about them that, um, I love, um, deep in the heart is a particular favorite. So, um, but I think that, you know, you too, uh, even on records that aren't, that don't have a dark feel throughout, a lot of times they end on a dark note. And so we've got written down here, um, exit into mothers of the disappeared, um, on the Joshua tree is a, Mm. that's a dark ending. That's not, there's nothing good happening there. You know, I mean, musically good, but not, you know, Mm -hmm. not about anything pleasant. Um, and it leaves you there, you know, after these kind of more ecstatic songs like streets and, um, you know, even in God's country and stuff like that, where you're sort of like, Ooh, you know, you're up on the ceiling listening to those. It does not leave you in a good place after all of that. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, you guys talked about love is blindness, uh, which is like a really devastating way to end a record. Um, as is wake up dead man on pop. Um, mm-hmm. Please that transition, please into wake up dead man. Uh, it's dark. <laughs> And um, I don't know how you guys feel about No Line on the Horizon, but I happen to love that record. I love and, it too. Oh, yay. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, Cedars of Lebanon is a dark ending, you know, um, on a record that is mostly not dark. So they have a way of like leaving you in this, in this little small room, like, you know, what just happened to me? <laughs> um, so... Um, and and they they I think they also have a way of doing that without even going too far into the lyrical side of it. I mean, just sometimes they come up with, and especially when they're working with Brian Eno and experimenting right. more. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, like you guys mentioned all the Joshua Tree B sides. I think what inspired me to want to do this topic was I had my uh, iPod on shuffle in the car, and Race Against Time came on, yeah. and that is a creepy song. Uh, it's just, there's not much to it. There's not really much in the way of lyrics there, but it's, it's, uh, you know, Adam's bass and, uh, you know, edge just kind of hitting the guitar once in a while. And, and, and Larry's drumming, uh, is kind of changing, uh, tempo here and there. Um, and it's just this beautiful moody piece that I could uh, definitely like, I could hear it in a horror movie, Mm. uh, or a suspense movie. Um, and then you got Bono, saying something and it's backwards, you know, which is like, Oh, that's like black Sabbath era. Now. <laughs> um, I should be listening to that on a turntable backwards and seeing what he's trying to say. Um, <laughs> so I, I like that one a lot. Um, and then another one, I, one, one thing we were going to have another guest on, uh, Ian was going to be on mm-hmm. and he had mentioned in our, in our, dis- in our discussion on Slack, uh, corpse, these oh, chains yeah. are way too long on the passengers album. Uh, yeah. first of all, it's uh-huh. called corpse. I mean, you know, what are you going to, you're going right. to do a, where the streets have no name with that song, with that <laughs> lyric, uh, title. Uh, and I heard that in the car today and I was like, man, that's a creepy song. And yeah. that's just, that's just beautifully like, ugh, I don't know what's going on. Edge is singing something. I, I don't know what it's about, but man, it's evoking a mood. Hey. Say, I'll meet you 
thing uh, about about you two and their darkness. But um, I, I sometimes goof around and I say that Bono is a goth. Um, he's obviously not really a goth, but um, he just, uh, you know, a little bit. Sometimes his style, you know, his way of presenting himself, you know, it's I guess it's rock starish, but um, I think for Halloween. Um, there are some scary songs going, I mean, scary, not like a horror movie scary, but songs with, uh, darkness, fear, doubt in them, uh, you know, going all the way back to boy. Um, you know, I think if you, I'm a lyrics person, so I kind of, sure I overdo it a little bit, but, um, you know, if you go back to, um, gosh, it's even in the titles on boy, you know, twilight shadows and tall trees. Um, you know, these songs, exactly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) you know, where you have, uh, you know, this, uh, the character of the record or the narrator, whatever you want to call it, Bono, whatever, whoever it is, um, you know, it's in these slightly disturbing situations a lot. Um, I kind of wrote about this for an article that will hopefully be posted on, on the site one of these days. Um, but that, um, you know, this is their first record and they were kids pretty much. And, um, you know, their songs about sort of being in the street at night and sort of mm-hmm. possibly encountering some shady characters and, you know, running home through the rain and all of that. And I just think that was, um, I think that's always part of them, has always been part of them, these sort of uh, little dark moods. And um, even on... Um, I mean, they don't really do, they don't do like dippy love songs ever, but the love songs that they do do always have a little doubt, a little bit of doubt mm-hmm. either in the other person or, or in the singer himself. Um, you know, even the songs about faith have a little bit of doubt. And I think, I think that's what makes them, you know, more compelling. Uh, than just than just that sort of anthemic, joyful, cliche band that people think they are. They're really not that. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's kind of a fan of darker music, um, you know, I have no problem with you too. I think there's plenty of dark stuff there to enjoy. So <laughs> that's my, that's the end of my essay. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, no, that's great. Yeah, thanks. definitely. <laughs> Um, well, I, I cannot leave this podcast until we discuss pop because I think one of the reasons, um, that people have a hard time with it is that it is really dark. Mm -hmm. Um, and it sounds like a party, but if you're really listening, it sounds like a party you don't want to go to, Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, what you were saying, um, PJ, about how their songs always have uh, a, a glimmer of hope. I think pop especially is like the absence of hope hmm. in in their songs. And um, like you said, like, please and wake up dead man at the end. But I mean staring at the sun and last night on earth. And if God will send his angels, you know, um, there, there's really no hope in these songs. <laughs> They're just, it's just bleak, <laughs> but, but it's set to this, uh, shiny, happy, um, disco music, which, uh, and I think people can't reconcile that in their heads when they're listening to it. And I think that's why people have such a hard time with this record, but it's also the reason why I love it so much. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. Never had a problem with it. No, No, me neither. No, no. Um, but there, there is not a lot of hope on this, on that record at all. And it is, um, every song, there's some, just dark, dark stuff going on um, in yeah. each of these songs here. So I can't even pick one because it's all, <laughs> I all, mean, even Playboy kind of Mansion, even Playboy Mansion, which is like a toss away song is just, there's just 
like, wow, dude, that is, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I used to think it was a toss away song and uh, it's not, (laughs) it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, no, it isn't. It really isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know what you mean that like sonically, you know, it could be, um, but it's, it's pretty heavy actually. (laughs) So I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of pop. Always have been, um, and I think you're right. It's 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 a hard record to for some people to wrap their heads around, especially since it's so like inconsistent in tone, but yet it's perfectly sequenced. Because I think Bono said about it, you know, it's a movie. It's a it's a an album that starts out as a party and it ends as, with a hangover. Mm-hmm. And you can, and the progression to that, I think, is beautifully done. Um, it's, it's a, it's like one of the most perfectly sequenced albums in their, in their, uh, discography. Uh, cause it really, it, it, it doesn't, it's not jarring in tone. Like it, it's gonna like shift gears. Like if you play it from beginning to end, you know exactly, you know, what Bono's talking about when he says that. Um, and, uh, it's, and, and to, go back and play it again right after wake up dead man. And then going back into disco tech right after mm-hmm. that, uh, that's kind of hard to do. Um, some YouTube albums you could play straight through and the mood doesn't change that much. Like how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Um, but pop is one that's, it's a real journey from one spot, one space to another. Um, and where it ends is not pretty. So no, <laughs> <laughs> and the journey is not pretty either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So I really enjoyed this uh, discussion. This is great. And one thing we cannot forget uh, about October 31st, happy birthday to Larry Mullen Jr. Um, do you guys have a uh, a favorite Larry album or Larry song or Larry moment that well, you want to bring up? I think you cannot talk about Larry Mullen Jr. unless you bring up Sunday Bloody Sunday. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just... You know, what an announcement he makes with his drumming at the beginning of that song. I mean, there's no other song out there like it. And um, so that's my pick for Larry Mullen Jr. Day. Happy birthday, Larry. (laughs) Well, I had the uh, great accidental good fortune of being right behind Larry's B-stage drums. Uh, just in the summer. Yeah. In June of 2018 at Nassau Coliseum. Um, I had miscalculated. I thought I was going to be kind of right in front of Nexus. but I was, you know, I I had Larry drums in front of me. That's okay. Um, watching him from the back playing desire was the most amazing thing I ever saw. Mm. Um, he is like a machine as you know, this like wiry machine at like just perfection. And uh, it was it was actually really cool um, getting to see him drum up close like that. Also, he is the scariest member of the band, so appropriate <laughs> for Halloween. Uh, he's not really scary. Well, <laughs> I was going to say he is kind of like a ghost because you don't hear about him. And then all of a sudden he pops up and then he's gone again like that. And nobody, True. you know, I always I call him the ever elusive Larry Mullen Jr. Yeah, because himself. He is stealthy. Yeah. He is. <laughs> He's a ninja. Uh, <laughs> um, one one of my favorite Larry uh, shows was the Halloween show, the Pop Mart show I saw in Detroit when I wore my Mephisto outfit. Uh, when they came out of the lemon, uh, <laughs> waiting for Larry at the bottom of the stairs was a birthday cake. And they all sang happy birthday to Larry when they were coming out of the lemon. That was pretty Aww. cool. That is cool. <laughs> and I got to say, um, you know, for an album that is often uh, maligned and, you know, ranked low, I got to say he, my favorite Larry album is October. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, oh, my yeah. God, he is. Interesting like, choice. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just listening to his work on that album, even, you know, when Bono's kind of fumbling through the lyrics and, you know, you, you can tell the band is not, you know, at, at, at their peak, but Larry is like working his ass off to save that album. Uh, and it's, it's, it's amazing to listen to it. That's, that's kind of where my ears go when I listen yeah. to October as I listen to Larry. The drums uh, on Rejoice. Oh, God. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh man. <sighs> Happy birthday, Larry. Happy we birthday, Larry. And thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> We're thank getting you for band together because we <laughs> yes. wouldn't be here without you. <laughs> Damn true. All right. <laughs> Okay, so uh, what's coming up? We are going to, well, the, the Joshua Tree tour is going to start uh, in the beginning of November, and I think that will probably be when we next do a podcast, unless something monumental happens between now and then. Um, as we're recording this on Tuesday, October 22nd, and I don't know when it'll be posted, but uh, we may have missed, again, we, there might be something monumental that happened that we didn't talk about. This, that's why October 22nd or is, when, is when we recorded this um so where can people find you to uh either on social media or any other thing that you want to promote um before we get out of here yes <laughs> okay um absolutely find me on twitter um as myself pj de Janeiro. uh always happy to talk about you too or politics or anything else <laughs> okay Marilyn? Yes, and I am Miss Marilyn, M-S-M-A-R-Y-L-I-N-N, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, hit me up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm at Colin underscore Suter on Twitter, although I'm I'm rarely on Twitter these days. Uh, better off friending me on Facebook. Um, so, uh, and you can uh, read my reviews on RogerEbert.com. And uh, also I have a, another podcast called Christmas Movies Actually, uh, where it's mm-hmm. just a podcast all about Christmas movies. Uh, if you want to ask at you to a question, uh, just use hashtag ask you at you to uh, to ask a question suggest a topic or just comment on youtube news and we may use it in a future podcast well that's it for us and thank you for listening and we'll see you uh next time probably when the joshua tree tour comes around so thanks everyone yep thank you